Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being part of Mariners today. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here and thank you for being part of today. And uh, boy, the worship was great, wasn't it? Oh, what a terrific time to be able to just sing it out full bore, full volume and, and all of that. I want to encourage you to come back tonight as we take time to just pray. It will just be time to pray. And so you'll have opportunity to pray for needs in your life and, and things are going on. A lot of time of just quiet, but also issues in church and world and, and, and all of that. And so please make sure you um, make time for that if you, if you can. love this place and I love you guys and I, and I just love being, being part of this. First verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, starts out and it says, In the beginning, God... And, and that means that there w- was a time, if it could really be called time, when God just was. Just God. Nothing else was only God. There's no creation, no stars. There was no earth. There were no angels. No universe to be upheld by his power. There was nothing. No one but God. And this was not for a day or a year because there was no time. Time had not been created yet. This was from everlasting. In the beginning, God was. Isn't that cool? And God was under no pressure to create. He did not have to. He did not need to. God chose to. So the Bible says this, in the beginning, God He created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever felt small? Have you ever felt really small? Usually I have to go outside in some big field or in a forest or a mountain top. And you look at it all and just the expanse of it kind of rolls out before you and you think, I'm really small. Early in 2013, astronomers at Princeton University discovered in space what they call now the Sloan Great Wall. Um, What it is, it's a semi-organized group or cluster of galaxies, actually more than 40,000 galaxies. And each galaxy has millions or billions of stars. It was described as this largest single structure seen so far in all of nature. This wall in space measures 1.38 billion light years in length. In case your high school astronomy has grown a little bit fuzzy, a light year is a little less than 6 trillion miles. So this thing is 6 trillion times 1.38 billion miles long. As a computer-generated image they tried to make of it, as you can see it, kind of the structure and the clusters from the top left kind of going down to the bottom right. Those are not stars you're looking at. Those are galaxies. The Sloan Great Wall. By the way, they have found another wall of galaxies that dwarfs the Sloan Great Wall. And the Bible asks a really good question. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, 
What is man? That you're mindful of him. You know, who am I? Who am I? Let me ask the question again. Have you ever felt small? (laughs) Very, very small. Who am I and who am I that God, who makes great walls of galaxies, cares and knows and listens? And then the Bible says this, in the beginning was the Word. And this is the beginning of the Bible book of John. John was a follower of Jesus, a disciple. And he tells the story of Jesus, and he uses the term word. And in the language that he used, the term word means the very fullest expression, the very fullest manifestation, the, the full expression of who God was. Tell him to write this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And that means the Sloan Wall and your bones and the trees and the stars and the sand and oceans. Then John says this, the word became flesh. God, God Almighty, God above time and space, God of eternity and everlasting became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Of course, that's Jesus. God who exists in eternity became human. And John is doing the best he can to try and blow our minds with this. Trying to blow us away by saying, hey, I want you to get this. God who made everything, time, space, galaxies, he became flesh, human. You kind of, kind of have that in your head? Isn't there kind of a wow factor in this? And then John says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Is there a wow factor in that? And Lord, right now as we consider you and how great you are, open our, our hearts and open our minds, open our wills so we might be able to comprehend your love and feel and experience you in this place, in this time. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. We're in a series that we are calling This Is Us. I mean, I mean, the question can be raised, you know, who really are we? You know, we're a bunch of peninsula people or coastside people, and we, we come together um, on Sundays and weekends, and, and we unite together, and we identify as followers of God and followers of Jesus Christ, and we serve together, and we work together, and when you believe and serve and work and kind of gather together and identify together, the Bible calls this a what? calls it a church. That's what he calls a church. Church just simply means those that have been called out and called, called together. And so we come as a church. But he asked the question in, in our community, our town, our world, what makes this place u- unique? I mean, each church is unique. As you look through the Bible, each one is different. The church in Galatia is different than the church in Thessalonica, different than the church in, in Colossae. Churches are all different and unique. And so we wanted to understand, well, what makes us different and unique? And so 
we have a bunch of very smart people in our church and they got together and they did a lot of interviews with you and they talked and crunched data and wrote post-it notes and found out what makes this place this place, you know? Who are we, you know? Who, who is us, you know, who are we? What about this place? And, and, and as I looked at the data and we kind of came together and talked about it, I came up with three things that are true about you and us and this place. And so we just simply would call those three things. This is us. This is us. And if you're here as a guest or for the first time, this is a good time to be here because you're going to hear really what we are all about and, and who we are. Last week we, t- we talked about the first one. We, we said that we are real people. We are real people here. And real means not plastic and, and not phony, fake. That's what I love about this place. You can come here and you can kind of open up and be yourself. You don't have to dress up if you don't want to. You don't have to put on airs or pretension. We prefer not for you not to. We are pretty honest about who we are, and we should be that way because we're all sinners saved by grace. Every single one of us, no one has a leg up on anybody else. And so we can be honest about who we are, warts and faults and flaws and bunions of which I am getting, by the way. I looked down at my foot the other day, and I said, what the heck is that? And my dear wife said, that is a bunion. And I thought, bunions? My grandma had bunions, you know? But we are like that. We have bunions and warts and faults and flaws. We are sinners, all of us, every single one of us, saved by grace. And so we come here on equal ground. And we can be real about that. And and we sometimes joke and say we don't allow perfect people in here. You know, if they come in, they'll wreck the place. They'll ruin the curve, by the way. And we could be not perfect because we know we aren't. You know, how many of you messed up this week? How many of you did a mess up this week? Okay, some of you are perfect. Good for you. You did it. Just that we have received grace. Now today, this morning, we want to talk about real God. And you say, what do you mean real God? You know, what does that mean, real God? You know? Does it mean that you kind of have the corner on the market on, on who God is? It's like, well, we don't have the corner on the market, but God has certainly revealed himself to us in really strong and powerful ways. And it means that this, and, and here it is, it means that God is real to us, and we are experiencing God as he is personally involved in each one of us, changing us and giving us peace, strength, and purpose. Okay. Now, there's more to God being real in your life than that, but let's just simply start with that and use that as a working definition. And the thing I love about you guys is, 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 is God is not a tradition to you, you know, just simply a tradition, something that you do, you know, nor is coming a habit. I, I never want this place to be, oh, this is just what I have to do on Sunday. If the have to is in there, then, then, then it's okay not to come. It really is. It's really fine. You know, if you have to say, I have to go to church, then that's not a good thing. And if you'd rather stay home and watch football, go for it. That, that, that's okay. Because what God wants is for us to come here with willing hearts and open hearts and saying, this is, this is what I want. This is the air I breathe. This is what life's all about. And not just simply coming to church is the most important thing, but you're looking for God and, and growing in God in your whole life. And, and I hope through the worship time that we just had, and wow, cool. I mean, that was just great. As they kind of crammed those three songs together. I hope that you had a moment, now maybe longer, when you just felt closer to God. And all of a sudden, with your worries and with the issues that are going on in your life and the challenges, all of a sudden you began to get a little bit more perspective. I hope that happened. You saw the greatness of God and you just felt, wow, I feel really small, but I feel his love and, and it's going to be okay. 
Well, how, you know, I say, how, how is God real in my life? How does that work itself out? What does that, that really mean? God is, is real in my life. Last night I, I got here, last afternoon I got here, we have Saturday night service, and so I get here and I try and kind of work on some stuff and, and figure out some other things. And, and, and I was there, I was sitting upstairs in my office, and there was a fly in there. You know, there's a fly buzzing around. Now, what I love about the coast side is there are not a lot of flies here. You know, not a whole lot of flies here. But what we lack in numbers, we make up for in what? God, this one was big. I mean, we're talking B-52 big. You know, and it was one of those big, slow, you know, ones that just hover around and they kind of do their, their, their flight plan. And, and, and his, his flight plan was in the, you know, the 10-foot square area around my body, you know, and all that. And I had taken a bath, so I was wondering about that, but he was buzzing around and all that. And, and, and I was getting really frustrated. And so you get to the point where, you know, you're swinging at him and all that, and, and you're just saying, I can't hit this thing. This is driving me nuts, you know. And then you get into the, the, the idea where you just say this, God... If you were really real, you would take this fly out of my office, you know? And we can smile about that. Have you ever done that, though, for other things? God, if you were really real, not necessarily flies, but God, if you were really real, then help me not to get this cold, you know? God, if you were really real, then give my car another 100,000 miles, you know? God, if, if you're really real, and we begin to say, God, if you're really real, then heal my loved one. God, please. Be real. If you're really real, then you would, you would really help my son get through what he's going through in his life. And we long for the reality of God in seeing him do those kinds of things. Remove flies, remove cancer, you know, help find jobs, help with a broken relationship. God, if you're real, do those kinds of things. And we ask for that. Now, does God just kind of... You know, pop in and say, hey, here I am, you know, what do you want me to do for you? It doesn't work that way. How do we experience God in life? I mean, how do we experience God in life? Well, there's four or five ways, and these are not in your notes. If you want to take notes, that's fine. We're going to cover this another time in the, in the first of next year. But God reveals himself to you in several different ways. First of all, number one, he reveals himself in creation, okay? This is called natural revelation, all right? Natural revelation. It's in nature how God reveals himself in nature. It's, you know, when you, when you paddle out on your board and the ocean's really cool and you just think, man, this is really cool. I just really feel the presence of God. Why do you do that? It's because God, when he expressed himself in creation, he put a part of himself in that, not his person in that, but he revealed his authorship in that. And so that you can say, man, it's a big, great, big ocean. God is great and big. Or up in the mountains, you know, God is huge and majestic and powerful called natural revelation. Sometimes you, you can, as you're reading the Bible, you'll all of a sudden feel the closeness of God with you. Because the Bible is the second way God reveals himself. And that's called special revelation, by the way. God reveals himself in a unique way in the Bible. And so when we're singing in some of the songs, a lot of the songs we sing are concepts out of the Bible or they are actually words out of Scripture and you feel a closeness with God. Of course you're going to because God is expressing himself or revealing himself in the words of Scripture. That would be called special special <clears throat> revelation. Third way is in your relationship with Jesus. Many of you, when you came to know Christ, all of a sudden you felt this incredible closeness to God, just a, something that was going on. My sister described it this way. She said it was like moving from, from darkness to light. She said, Paul, I feel like I just moved from a dark place to something bright, light in my, in my heart and in my life. And of course, that's part of God revealing himself. Fourth way is in our worship. The one we worshiped. 
as we were singing the song, you know, I hope you felt the closest with God. That's what it's designed to do, not for you to try and figure out the notes or what words are coming next or whether things are spelled right or wrong on the screen. None of that kind of stuff. It's there for you to be able to open your heart and express. There's that verse that says, God inhabits the praise of his people. You hear that? He inhabits. means God is there. And the fifth way is through his real presence living in your life. And that would be considered the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Do you understand that? You follow how that kind of works itself out? This is the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus said, here's God, and he's going to be there with you. Paul would write it this way. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. There's something inside you, if you're a follower of Christ, where you just simply know that I belong to God. I belong to God through Jesus Christ. There's something that's there. Time and time again, I've talked to people that said, yeah, I I became a follower of Jesus when I was a kid. And, you know, of course, when I became a teenager, I messed up or I walked away from it all. But always in my life, I've known that in my heart and in my life, God was there. Jesus was there. Jesus Christ was there in me and for me. And now I've come back to that. And that's the Holy Spirit drawing back, drawing a person back. And there's a sense of God is in this. God is in me and hear me. And in, 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 in here for me. And there's a sense of who I am. And I, and I love the truth of Jesus and God. I love the logic of it. You know, I love to try and read the logical parts of it and the philosophy behind it. And it battles with my brain. It's incredible logic and reason. And I love that. And that's one of the things that drew me to become a follower of Christ was the incredible logic and philosophy behind it. You know, it wasn't just for dummies. It was the farther you get into it, the more incredibly complex and real and reasonable it is. But there's also the feelings that go with it too. And you have those feelings. Can you go with the feelings? Of course you can. And what's cool is I've met people who are followers of Jesus all over the world, from all over the world, you know, El Salvador or Israel or, you know, UK. And we compare notes on the experience we've had with Jesus and guess what? They're the same. They're the same. The same thing. And of course, he's going to be a God, not only of my mind, but of my heart and my feeling and my my experiences. Well, how do I make God real in my life? How do I make that happen more and more and more and more? And I've got to be careful here with semantics because God is real whether I know it or not. You know, God is real whether I say so or not or believe it or not. Does the Bible, by the way, prove the existence of God? No, it assumes it. It just assumes. It's like, come on, get on with it. You know God exists. So let's just figure out how to have this relationship with him. The Bible doesn't need to prove it. It's just there. It's self-evident in all these things. But the first word on this one, it would be the word seek. This one comes from the Bible book of Hebrews where it says, this anyone who comes to him, that would be God, must believe that he, he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, this is like, this season is like sports mecca season, you know, 
There are so many sports going on. They're all there right now. I mean, man, it's awesome. You have baseball, the World Series going. You've got basketball season that just started. You've got college football. You've got pro football. You've got hockey that's going on. You've got soccer that's going on. I mean, everything, everything, everything is even there. I was turning channels the other, the other day, and guess what I was watching? Curling, you know, that ice thing, curling. Any of you like curling? Yeah, it's good. It's a cool sport. And then the other day, I was watching this. You think all I do is sit home and watch TV, but I don't. Um, they had actually the cornhole championships, world championships of cornhole. You know, where you toss beanbags in a hole? You know, cool. It was really cool. I, I, I watched that. And it was going on. And, and, and sometimes, you know, if you're into sports, you get tickets or you buy tickets and you, you, you say, oh, let's go to a game. And you go to the game and you get there and you get some food and you sit down and you watch and you root and you holler and all that and you're watching what's going on down there on, on the field. And, and you feel the emotion when your team, you know, hits a home run or, or makes a great catch or, or, or makes a, a, a huge tackle. And you can, whether even it's at home on TV or at the stadium as you're standing, as you're sitting there watching it, you can, in a sense, experience the game, can't you? I mean, you ever felt that experience? The thrill, the up afterwards, oh, I'm so exhausted, you know, after the game, after watching all that kind of thing. And you, then you go home and say, man, what a, what a great game it was. And you, and you feel it all. You experience the game, kind of. But I don't experience the game as much as those who are actually what? Playing the game. Those on the field. And, and, and you and I both know, and we know this, we're, we're familiar with it, that there's something about God and there's something about a place like this that gives me the opportunity to either sit and watch or actually get involved in the game. Okay? I, I, know, I know that feeling. I know that feeling well. When I was in college, uh, a friend invited me to go to his church for the incredibly godly reason that the girls were cuter than the church where I was going, okay? <laughs> and so I went, and um, the girls were cuter, okay? It wasn't a bad deal. I got a wife out of, the, out of this thing, so it's really Okay. But, but I sat there, and this was a college ministry, and so there were a bunch of kids in the room, and I sat there, and I sat in the back, and I sat there in the back with my arms folded, you know, because I wanted to, to actually have my space, and I'm very thankful they gave me my space. In fact, if you're here like that, you got your space, okay? If you need space to kind of check this place out and check this God thing out, you've got all the space you want, okay? This is kind of one of those things where we'll give you that time and God's going to slowly, slowly, slowly draw you in. But I was sitting there and I had, I had my space and my arms folded and when they sang, I didn't sing, you know, because I was in the stands watching the game going on. You see that? You know, I was there just kind of sitting there watching it all and I didn't participate much, if at all, because I was a spectator in this God thing and there's a big difference between a spectator and a player. And somehow it felt like, and this is the weird thing, I had power. As long as I did not deeply involve myself in this or get emotionally connected, I had a sense of power over this. And some of you are feeling it right now. You say, if I were to completely participate in this, I would lose a sense of self, a sense of power. And that's who we are. And we can, if you're feeling that, we can talk more about this later. But anyway, I had that sense of power and a little separate, and, and, and if you know the feeling, you know what I'm talking about. So I sat back and I looked at the other people. And then what happens is something goes through your mind as you begin to go things like this. I said, man, if God were real to these people, you know, who are here, if God were really real to them, they'd reach out more. 
God were real to them, they'd talk to that lonely girl over there. Or if God were real to them, when the music's playing, they would actually sing. All that did was reveal to me what? That God was not real to me. You see? It came slamming back at me. As I sat there and tried to place, um, hold on to my control, talk to them about or think about their reality of God and their experience, all it did was reveal how unreal God was to me. Because I had my defenses up. See, I was a spectator, unwilling to get down the field and, and, and play. Um, the Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. That's it. That's it. Believing in your heart, Jesus is Lord. You're made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. And, and the confession is not just mouthing the words. Confessing means this is it. This is who I am. This is everything I believe right here, right now. It's actually getting out of the seat and getting down on the field. Seek. You have to seek. And then God becomes real to you. So I'm going to seek first. And you're saying, didn't you just say that? And I, yeah, I did, but there's another word there, and that's seek first. And there's seeking that goes beyond. Because Jesus said this great verse, and this really helped me in my life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And when you read the whole section in which this verse is, is placed in Matthew 6, it's really pretty cool because it countercultures everything we get from this world, you know? We worry about this and that. We worry about food and clothes and IRAs and 401Ks and retirement and health and popularity and career and do I have the right look? Do I have the right shape? Do I have the right things that are around in my life? And Jesus says, you really want me to be real to you? You really want me to be real in your life? You want to experience me taking care of you? Here you go. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about those other things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Live with abandoned to God. Abandon everything. Just live, live it to God. Give more than you think you're able to. Serve more often than you think you should. Open your heart to people you don't think you should open your heart to. And immediately you think, well, what's going to happen to me? Who's going to take care of me? And that's where that verse slams into us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Everything will be given to you. You want God to be real in your life. God is only real in your life as much as you give yourself up to him. Seek first and make that your priority. And, and then the last one is practice his presence all the time. Practice his presence. A long, long time ago, there was this guy named Nicholas Herman. And he lived in France. And this is in the 1600s. He was not particularly well educated. Um, and he didn't particularly do much, if anything, very well at all. The age of 18, he, he, was, he didn't go on to school because he just wasn't quite there. And age of 18, um, um, he was, he, something happened in his life. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he began to seek first the kingdom of God. It became important to him to seek God with his, with his life. And his faith began to grow. But since he wasn't particularly well-educated and he wasn't particularly good at anything or any skill, he became, here he is, a valet to the king's treasurer. 
Okay, all right, you have the king, you have the king's treasure here, and he was one of the valets. He just kind of served the king's treasure and did certain things here and there. And, and yet he was big and he was clumsy and he broke everything, and so he got fired, let go from that position. Okay, what is he going to do now? And so he, he said, well, I, I kind of want to grow more in my faith. I don't know how to do it. And so he went to the monastery that was in town, and he asked if they needed any help around the place. And so they made him a pot washer. He washed dishes in the monastery for all the people that were, were doing all their holy stuff. He became the, the pot washer in the monastery. And in his desire to be close to God, he said, well, God, if I'm going to be a pot washer, I'm going to wash every pot for you. And he began to practice something. He practiced God's presence in absolutely everything he did. Everything he did. Every dish, every utensil, every pot he washed. Whether it was washing a pot or a pan or cooking or mending sandals for some of the priests, he would practice the presence of God. And of course, everyone that comes into a monastery has to have a different name, and so they called him Brother Lawrence. He was Brother Lawrence. And for a bunch of years, that's all I did was wash pots and mend sandals and practice the presence of God in everything he did, intentionally and consciously. Well, he was interviewed by somebody that realized, we got some guy here that kind of got a good angle on some things, you know? And, and what he said was put in a book, and the book is called Practicing the Presence of God. The title of the book is worth the price, by the way. Practicing the presence of God, and it's pretty cool, and it shows that no matter who you are or what you do, the realness of God can be there. The realness of God can be in your drive home as you practice the presence of God. And as you eat lunch, as you practice the presence of God, and as you talk with your family, or you get on the phone, or you enjoy just time in your backyard, you go for a walk, you practice the presence of God in your life. A real relationship, moment by moment and situation by situation. Listen to the reality of this. This is what Paul writes. And these are, listen to the attributes that kind of pop up. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy, all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy, peace, hope. Who doesn't want those? They come with practicing the presence of God. 